the third episode of Holly Tech Talk, we have the pleasure to host Ilan Regenbaum. Ilan is one of the founders of Heaven Drones and is heading the company as VP of Operations and Business Development. Ilan is also the founder of Israel Venture Capital Forum, co-founder of the Israeli Air Force Accelerator, a public speaker, and the list goes on. Ilan, welcome. Thanks for having me. I think that the audience got that you're a serial entrepreneur and a hyperactive Ali Hadash. But please tell us more about you. So um, I will just start by saying that I wish I was one of the, the co-founders of Heaven, but I was the first business hire. So I'm almost, almost a founder. But uh, throughout my entrepreneurial journey, whether in Israel or before, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States, originally from Johannesburg, South Africa, studied in, uh, in New York City at Yeshiva University. I founded my first startup in high school. Uh, it was a f- photography studio doing event photography and uh, ended up selling that business. For any of you that have heard of another uh, very successful company called uh, Warby Parker that makes glasses, uh, that was not my business, sadly, but I had a similar startup that made prescription eyeglasses uh, while I was in college. And so I've had a very much an entrepreneurial journey, whether it is founding companies or having the entrepreneurial mindset uh, throughout my, my whole entire time to, to work in venture capital and whatever I do, I try and think like an entrepreneur. Can you tell us where you come from, where the journey starts for you in terms of um, your interest for Israel and the desire to come live in, in the start of nation? So I think it, it started for me with what I, I touched on just before is, is being an entrepreneur is, is, is a mindset. And so my parents were very much entrepreneurs unto themselves. They, they had their, their own internet uh, e-commerce businesses going back 25 years ago when the internet was, was very different than it is today. And so seeing them working, running their own businesses inspired me saying, well, it doesn't matter how old I am or where I am, I can do that. So at 13, I started my own business, but that was just fun. It was great uh, earning some extra pocket money, but that taking that to the next level, it started to keep on saying, well, okay, I'm going to college, not just because I need a college degree, but because how can I gain the skills? And every step along the way was, was driving me towards entrepreneurship. And then Israel came in. I studied in, in Israel a year before college and uh, saw how awesome it was to live in Israel. Um, but what really started to push me in the direction, I, got, I knew I wanted to, to move to Israel and, and be living there because of the culture. But what really exposed me to quote unquote startup nation obviously there's the book uh, the, the famous book and I, I've heard they're coming out with a, a second version soon but I participated in a program called birthright excel it was a two-month uh, internship program my uh, last year of university and uh, I interned at was what was then Greylock partners a venture capital fund which is now called 83 north and going there and seeing Israel not just living there as a student and not just going to visit but we lived in Tel Aviv I worked in a venture capital fund in Herzliya. I saw the leaders of, of the innovation and tech ecosystem, and that really started to drive me to say that, okay, Israel has something that's very different because I could move out to Silicon Valley. I was living in New York at the time studying a major tech hubs, but Israel really had something special. It had the culture, it had the tech, it had the people. All these things came together to make me interested in moving there. So... It sounds like you were always attracted by innovation and everything around it. Um, but what in the high-tech industry really did get your attention and made you decide that you should engage yourself in it? So 
I think that the beauty of high tech and startups is the ability to start something without lots of money and without lots of planning. You don't need to go and everyone thinks you need to have money to start. Well, not everyone, but but to start a company, it's it's oftentimes just somebody that has an idea and the drive and to, that wants to change change things. And so that's the way I looked at it, and and that's what really drew me towards the the startup world because, at the end of the day, what a successful startup has to identify a problem in the market and a problem that is identified by lots of people and then find a way of solving that problem. And at the end of the day, it's kind of sappy to say it, but the goal of an entrepreneur is to change, change the world and hopefully for the better. And so I view entrepreneurship just like that, that whether it's me founding a company, me being operations in a company, me uh, trying to take entrepreneurial and startup kinds of ideas and doing it, entrepreneurial kinds of things in the military. It's, it's about identifying challenges on the ground and, and solving them. And so it gives you obviously a sense of meaning because you're solving challenges. Um, but it also, uh, it's a creative outlet because uh, you, you get to build something where there wasn't anything. And so for me, I, I'm not a developer. Um, I enjoy uh, uh, graphic design and art, but I'm hardly an artist. And so this is my form of expression, but it's a form of expression that, that has the potential to really change the world in a positive way. And so that really spoke to me. Before engaging on an entrepreneurial path in a country where you're fresh immigrant out of the plane, you probably need some cultural background, some understanding of, of the new place where you got. Fast forward, you're living in Israel. How was your Hebrew level? What was your level of understanding of the Israeli culture? How was your first interactions with Israeli partners, lawyers, investors or entrepreneurs? What was it like? So yeah, he Hebrew culture, they're all tough things. I jokingly say, I've said this multiple times, but the toughest things for me moving to Israel were um, that my family still lives in the US, uh, language is tough, and that there's no two-day shipping with Amazon Prime to Israel. And luckily, I've gotten over most of those things. We got very exciting when, it, when Amazon was shipping to Israel. Now with COVID, uh, it's the least of our issues, but they stopped shipping, uh, free shipping. But but yeah, culture and Hebrew have been tough. I remember the first day when I was on my internship at, uh, um, um, at Greylock, Greylock, I walk in and like, look, I'm American. I'm, I know it's Israel, so I, I don't want to wear a suit to work, but I should still dress up. So I wear a button down shirt. I wear some like uh, slacks and nice pants. And I walk in and one the principal of the fund looks at me and he says, what are you wearing? And I'm like, <laughs> what, what's wrong with this? And he's there in his t-shirt and jeans and, and, and the culture, it's, it's very tachlis, it's very to the point. And I've seen that multiple, multiple times. And so the, the culture I very much like because I don't like beating around the bush. So if you do a good job, sometimes they tell you, sometimes they won't, but if you do a bad job, they'll tell you. And so you always know where you stand. And so that's something I really like about the Israeli culture. It can be frustrating, uh, really frustrating, uh, that directness, but I like knowing where you stand. You can always be honest with people. And then when it comes to the Hebrew, I've, I've really pushed myself to, to uh, learn Hebrew. I, I served uh, over three years in the army. Um, admittedly, in my unit, there were lots of Anglos uh, from all over the world. So there was a lot of, of Hebrew, but also French and Russian going around in the unit. But I did everything that I can to really improve my Hebrew. I give lectures in Hebrew. I did uh, Duolingo. 
And still to this day, I, the greatest uh, the greatest compliment I get is when I'm speaking to somebody in Hebrew and then I'll say some words in English and they'll, they'll say to you, oh, wow, you have such good English. Where'd you learn English? I'm like, yes, they thought I was Israeli. But um, no, that's a funny one. <laughs> but yeah, but then on other times I would send emails, especially when I was in the army, I'd send an email and somebody would respond to me uh, in, in Hebrew saying, how old are you? So you get both sides of it. If I, I will always be an Ole, I'll always be an immigrant, and it's tough. But you also have to embrace this. And luckily, in the startup and high-tech ecosystem, and I think broader across Israel, as Israel is exploring uh, more international markets, English and other languages are going to be even more important. So yes, I live in the country. I love the culture. I want to be as Israeli as I possibly can and embrace all those good parts of the culture. But I also need to embrace my Ole-ness and whether it's me and my English understanding or Arabic speaking Olim or French speaking Olim, wherever it might be, Israel has to, it looks as an, at an international market. And so there's so many opportunities for uh, Olim that speak other, other languages. And so I embrace that aspect despite loving the, the culture of Israel. So I think that um, for Olim Chadashim uh, and, and in Israel in general, there is some key expressions and words uh, that must be known by, by, by you know, these new international talents coming to Israel. In the previous episode with Tal Wilson, we went over uh, the expression of Haver Mevi Haver. And now I spotted in what you just said, you very in, in a very clever way, you used uh, Tachles. And so we all come from, you know, heavy cultural background, France, Germany, South Africa, America, etc. And we, we get to Israel. And as you said, you know, you might come over dressed to the office or, you know, you're not used to WhatsApp your, your CEO, etc., uh, etc. Et so many examples. I think that is very important that our detours and, and eventually future Olim understand um, what's that concept of Tachles. So could you give us your definition of the expression Tachles? I wish I had a, a good story that I could think of right now, but Tachlis is is no BS. It's uh, when you walk in, it's it's not somebody saying oh, good work when they mean bad work. It's uh, it's it's focusing on what's important. I think when I, when I give lectures, I I, um, I have a slide that shows previous Ramat Khalid, previous chief of staff of the military, um, standing in his dress uniform right next to a three-star uh, Marine U.S. general. And they're standing there, their, their uniforms. And you see them on, the, on this Marine, he's got lines and lines and lines of pins for, for the smallest things. I think you get your first pin in the U.S. military, like if you spend a certain amount of nights away from your home base and like all these things. And obviously there's very respectable uh, pins that you're awarded for serving in, in acts of valor. But then you flip over to, to uh, General Eisenkot and he's got like three pins, like one from each of the wars that he served in, maybe one like Salash, one uh, like, uh, I don't even know what pins, but he's just got a couple on his shirt. And I think that's part of the Tachlis. Like every, it, we focus on what's important. When I was in the military and you, you, you say to my Mifaked, who was a, a colonel, I never called him my commander, it was Amir, how, how are you? Um, obviously there are times where you have to salute and there are formalities, but it's about that, that, that focusing on, on what's important because we are, as a small country, especially as the country was starting over 70 years ago, we, ha we didn't have the resources and we had to focus what's important. When you would see Ben-Gurion uh, showing up to the UN or to an a, a international meeting anywhere in the world and he'd show up in his, his 
top three buttons are undone and the only reason he's probably wearing pants is because he was forced to but like that's as much as you can get him that's tachlis it's about focusing on what's important and sometimes we may take it a bit too far um that you never kind of focus on on there is something nice to formality but um but tachlis i think is something that's so inherently israeli that stop with all the frills and, and focus on what's important thanks for that definition i think uh, you know it brings some uh, enlightenment over the expression Tachlis. Now, um, let's jump onto uh, who you are professionally in terms of your career path. So for the guys that know you, uh, they won't be surprised about all the experiences you have and, and, and all the leadership actions you, you have uh, successfully uh, conducted this far. But for the people that do not know you, uh, well, first of all, please do go check Ilan Regenbaum on LinkedIn, and you understand what I'm what I'm saying and emphasizing right now. Uh, but could you please walk us through your first entrepreneurship uh, actions and project in Israel? How was it, and how was also dealing with uh, the Israeli bureaucracy, uh, which is also could be a, a, a pain point of sort of. Yeah, so, so the funny thing is, is while living in Israel, I've never started a company. Um, all the companies, the three companies I started were all abroad. And, um, and so my whole time of being an entrepreneur in Israel has been being an entrepreneur either in somebody else's startup, in the military, in nonprofits, or, or, or other, other places, or other initiatives that I started. And so, but for every part of the way, everyone's got this kind of entrepreneurial mindset that they're trying to, even in very closed-minded places, say a bureaucracy. So I, I, at this point, I, I'll come back to the military again, just because it was such a central uh, part that, and, and it touches on the one hand bureaucracy, on the one hand in, on innovation. I w came to Israel and I, I joined a, a startup. Uh, it was uh, called uh, Cool Data and thought I would be sticking at this startup for, for, for a while. Then I ended up in, in venture capital for a little bit. And then I got a, a Tzavrishon, a, a call up for the army. And so I thought I'd be doing a really quick stint in the army six months and, I'm, and I'd be in this bureaucracy for six months as an, as an Ola and then go back to uh, the, the, innov the real innovation. But I drafted to the Air Force's innovation unit, a unit which I eventually became the commander of. And then uh, while there, I was the, um, I founded the Air Force's um, accelerator, startup accelerator uh, with another Ole um, and, and another friend. And the view of, of, of startups is about moving fast. It's about tachlis. It's about solving problems. And so on the one hand, the military definitely has that. And it, it, it's, it so perfectly summarizes Israel, I think, in so many ways, because, because you ha they had to move quickly. The army was very scrappy. The army had to think uh, uh, about uh, how are they going to solve problems. But on the other hand, it's still a giant bureaucracy. There's tens of thousands of people. There's ranks. There's rules. And so how do you balance these two things? And I think Israel is very much balancing these things back and forth, whether it is, is the army, whether it, where, whether it is waiting in line at the uh, interior ministry to get a new uh, ID book. It's... You, Israel is a social, was founded as a, meant to be a socialist paradise, and now it's one of the most capitalist countries in the world, where a secular democracy and we're religious, uh, a religious state. So 
Israel's got this back and forth of so many different things. And so how are we balancing the, this bureaucracy, this innovation? And I think that's, once again, one of the many things that makes us truly Israeli is how do we balance the two of these things? And so when it comes to the bureaucracy, I always view Israel as, is the bureaucracy is either going to be the most efficient thing you have ever seen, and, uh, and it's amazing, and it's like mind-blowing. Do it all online. Israel in the last few years through an uh, initiative uh, called Israel, uh, Digital Israel has been digitizing many, many services. It's just like I got my passport last year. I guess a passport doesn't matter too much for most people right now since you can't travel. But within like a, a week, the passport's at my door. I did it all online. It was like insane. Versus other things can take weeks, months. You're calling this, that. You bring that one paper that you... And so, but more and more and more, Israel is, is coming towards this kind of balance where, where, thing, where, where the startup mindset is making its way into the government, it's waking its way into the military. And so you're seeing uh, government programs. Uh, in my previous position, I worked with, uh, with the prime minister's office and Google. We had a program called Refresh, where we trained uh, government employees to think more innovatively and think outside the box. Um, and so you're seeing this more and more, and it's changing. That allows the, the everyday citizen of the country to appreciate startups and innovation, not just by working in a startup, because actually the vast majority of, of Israel, Israel's population does not work in the high-tech scene. And the majority of Israel's uh, GDP does not come from high-tech. But the innovation is trickling down to improve our bureaucracy, to improve the country as a whole, uh, albeit slowly, but it is happening. When you are an entrepreneur in Israel, um, how do you measure success? And more importantly, how do you know when to stop or when to keep on going regarding the project you're working on? Um, can you give us your take on that? So I think in, in most of the world, um, uh, to measure, obviously, it's a, it, it depends. The question changes how success is uh, in, in if you're for-profit, non-profit, government. But I think in general, in, in most of the world, if people are yelling at you, then you're starting to fail. In Israel, if people are yelling at you, you're starting to succeed. Um, it's, it's about, the, the term disruption is you have to push forward and, and the view of, a, a, I think every entrepreneur is a little bit crazy um, because at the end of the day, to define what an entrepreneur is, is somebody that looks at the world a different way than everybody else and saying, we got to change things, whether it's uh, the, using MapQuest or pulling up a paper map? No, I'm going to use Waze. Whether it's um, even you look at Better Place, the electric car company that was a major failure, but Shai Agassi and the whole Better Place team had an immense vision of changing the country. They were insane. And while you, sometimes you win, sometimes you, you lose, it's about looking at the world and differently, and you're going to piss people off. And it's about being so being a realist because there are times where there's the tv show silicon valley um, on hbo which talks about the life of a startup and and its investors and there's so many times it just hits it on the nail so many times about what it is to be an investor and be an entrepreneur and sometimes they come up with people that that have pitches for ideas in that show and they're absolutely insane that uber for cats i don't know something that's but it's not just a TV show. I mean, these crazy ideas do exist. And some of those crazy ideas are just like insane and will never go anywhere. But sometimes those crazy ideas are going to change the world. And so it's about doing your market research, understanding that there is a, is a challenge, that a real problem that you 
have exposed that you've done enough market research to understand that there's a problem there, and then to go and, and try and, and solve that, that real problem. And so to know when to start to, 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 to stop, it's, it's about being honest with yourself, but it's also about know, not listening to other people, knowing when to listen to people, knowing not, uh, when to not listen to people. Because being an entrepreneur is a very lonely journey but it can be immensely rewarding. And you just have to also build a team a a around you. It's about having a good group of people, whether it's the people directly in your company, but also finding mentors and, and, and finding people that can help you along the way. That uh, people you can always call and, and, and have uh, questions about how to do operations, how to run your finances. Um, is this market gonna be, be the right market to go into? Sometimes they'll say, oh yeah, it's 100% it's a great market. But if, if a venture capitalist really knew everything there was about a great market, well, then they would be a lot more successful. To quote uh, John Medved from our crowd, he says that in Hebrew, hon sikun uh, is uh, venture capital, but a direct translation of hon sikun is danger capital. It's a very risky uh, asset class. And so nobody really knows. And so sometimes as the entrepreneur, you need to just be so focused on your vision, but also be re a realist about it and, and know have the right KPIs, have the right right goals, because you are changing the world, but you also have to change the world with a, with a structured and, and goal-based approach. So let's try to avoid uh, the cliche, you know. Uh, we all want to make our Jewish mom proud, and, and, and obviously all our friends, we want them to see that, you know, we raised millions of dollars on the newspapers, etc., etc. But But that's, you know, uh, the superficial vision of entrepreneurship. Um. You know, when you come in a country like Israel, uh, yet a small country, but a country where money is definitely, you know, flowing in, in consequent volumes. Um, you know, if you and I wanted to start uh, an entrepreneurship journey in, in the U.S., we have the connections, we know the people, we do understand the culture, the laws, etc., etc. But when we arrive in Israel, um, you know, the, the card deck is being reshuffled and... and and you know, it might feel for some people a lack of confidence, uh, unstable environment eventually. How to overcome that? Uh, what was your first impression of you know interactions with investors, lawyers? Um, how competitive was it for you? Uh, can you can you enlighten us through your experience uh, on on that point? Um. Well, I think money is not everything. Um, a good enough idea. So Israel, I, I haven't followed up on the statistics in the last uh, while, but it, it, in the last many years, Israel has been the, the, one of the most capitalized countries in the world, and at least in startup funding um, per capita, Israel is or, or at least was the most, has more VC funding than any other country in the world. So the money is here. And yes, COVID has changed things, but I know many investors, so you mentioned the beginning that I founded the, the Israel Venture Capital Forum. Basically, it's, it's a discussion forum for about 250, it's, it's a WhatsApp group for about 250 venture capitalists across Israel or focusing on, in on Israel. And it's, so the money's there, they're investing, they're raising funds uh, for themselves. But it comes back to other points that, I, that I've made that if you have a good enough idea, a good enough vision, and you're able to sell that vision, then the money will come. But also an investor needs to, to see from you that you have the, that you are driven enough and you're dedicated enough. 
when a when a entrepreneur comes to any investor or anyone in general an entrepreneur that's trying to trying to start something and is still doing a side job and has other things happen going on how can they possibly be fully invested in something if they're um if they're they're doing it part-time and i will say more specifically i get maybe you can call it it's a joke or, or but it's it's partially true in that we call VC or I, I, a lot of venture capitalists jo joke amongst each other and, and say, call the venture capital the dark side. If the goals of a venture capitalist, of, a, of an investor and, and of a CEO and an entrepreneur are not always aligned, obviously they want the company to be successful, but there's a famous story um, when, um, when Peter Thiel, the famous PayPal uh, in, uh, investor and, and of many other, uh, other fame, uh, was in Israel. He told the story um, when he was sitting on the, it was him, one other person and Mark Zuckerberg. They were the three people on the board of Facebook. And I think Yahoo comes knocking with an offer for a billion dollars. He's not even 30 yet. What person under the age of 30 would turn down a billion dollars from Yahoo? And yes, Yahoo, who knows? Yahoo is not exactly the biggest, uh, like it, it's, it's not the, the, the most, uh, the coolest company these days. But who wouldn't take that? And so that was one of the few times where Teal said, what do you think, Mark? And Mark said, no, I think Facebook's going to be a $100 billion, even bigger company. And Facebook IPO'd at $100 billion. Most investors would say, it's a billion dollars, Mark. You're 20 whatever years old. Take the money. And so sometimes the, the alignment isn't there. And so when it comes to people saying, well, I would start X, but I don't have the money. Try and avoid venture capital money as long as you can and, and as, as much as you can. Iron Source, which is a major marketing tech company uh, in Israel, they didn't raise any VC money until they had millions of dollars in revenue and hundreds of employees. The only money they ended up raising was more of a debt financing and, and, and just to help them grow. And they probably could have found other ways of not raising that money from VCs because they already had revenue. So the point I'm trying to say is that don't let money be, uh, it's, it's obviously easy to say uh, um, versus do, but don't let money be the thing that stops you from trying to be an entrepreneur. As I said multiple times throughout the talk, entrepreneur is a mindset. So whether I'm talking about, I started a community for investors, well, I've also started communities in other areas. I started uh, uh, lots of different side projects. I've started companies all, whether it's the goal is to make money or not, it's about having the mindset of just starting something and if it's something that eventually will make money and will need to raise, raise investor capital, well, the money is there, but it's not the key part of it. How do you think uh, international talents, Olim, uh, are perceived uh, among other Israelis entrepreneurs? It, internationals that, that are living in Israel? Yeah. So I, I think early on, the, Israel is, is, is an evolving country and, and I think it used to be much more that if you hadn't gone to the army, if you hadn't grown up in Israel, there was, uh, it was tougher to, to become part of the, the ecosystem. I think things are changing, especially as a lot more immigrants are coming to Israel. Israel is changing some of their visa laws and allowing people, especially as there's a, a level of a shortage of, of engineers. And so they're allowing internationals to come and work on, on uh, work visas. So I think there, there is a, is a shift and, and Israel's, and a lot of the, the, the high-tech ecosystem is realizing that we are not a bubble and we have to be more open. And so 
I think it is still a bit of a Israeli mindset of a kachol v'lavan, like blue and white, we do everything local. Um, but it is opening more and more to the world and, and will continue to do so, whether as Israel's foreign policy uh, and, and more countries within our neighborhood are looking to, to work with us. We'll, we'll see a lot more, hopefully, I, I hope, more local entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship with, with, uh, with our neighbors and countries in the region and more and more of an international mindset. That, But also, I will say on the flip side, when it comes to people coming to Israel, I come from, I grew up in the United States. I've had for years, no fee banking. I have Robinhood uh, where I'm allowed to make no fee uh, trades uh, on the stock market, no fees, no fees, no fees, two days shipping. I, everything is consumer focused. So I come to Israel and it's less about what, how the, the, the market looks at me, how, how employers look at me. It's how do I look at them? How do I look at the market? So I come and say, wait, how much does bank whatever want to charge me? That's in, it's my money. How much do they want to charge me for a, a trade? How much does this company want? When I, the cell phone bill is, is messed up in America, you yell at them, oh yeah, sure, here's, here's, a, here's a free month. When somebody wants to hire you and, and offer you X or give you certain terms and you say, no, this, this is the way it works in the world. And I think it's, it's also important that it's obviously, Olim should never come at it from, from a standpoint of weakness. I think Olim nowadays come with so much to give to the ecosystem. So whether it's negotiating at your bank, whether it's negotiating for a new job, you need to be very uh, confident in what you're bringing to the table and say to whichever situation you're bringing in, I know how good this can be. I know how good I am. And so, yeah, you, you, I didn't, maybe I didn't serve in Shimon time but uh, an 8200 or whatever, or, or an OLED or, or international that didn't serve in the army at all or do any national service, that's not what's so key anymore. It's, it's about what you can bring to the table. And I think there's so much to be brought to the table by immigrants and they just need to uh, be confident enough to, to bring it to the table. Let's talk now about Israel Venture Capital Forum. So how did you make that happen? How did you gather 250 of the top VC investors and heads of innovation in Israel and around the world? You know, um, and, and, and who's, you know, using that network and how it works. Enlighten us a little bit more about that uh, forum. Uh, yeah, so it's, it, as, as I said, it's, it's a WhatsApp group. And this country, run, Israel runs on WhatsApp. It's quite crazy. Um, my, I believe it was my second year in Israel. I um, was an associate at a, at a venture capital fund. And we would see, I'd see deals that would come across our desk that we were an early stage fund and I'd see deals that were maybe a little bit too early, a little bit too late, but they were solid entrepreneurs, really great companies. And so I didn't just want to say, okay, sorry guys, can't do anything. And so I went, I went to a few of my other young uh, VC friends and said, well, let's start a WhatsApp group. We can share deal flow. We can advance. I didn't have too much of a vision of it at the start, but it was more just sharing deal flow. And uh, since then, it's grown to the point that I've basically hit the limit on uh, on on the group. Um, I am bringing on a, a community manager uh, to manage it amongst other other groups that I have started or am starting for uh, chief innovation officers and and uh, and uh, family office investors and, and lots of different types of groups. Um, so I've been a bit delayed in bringing on that community manager, but the goal of the whole group has become that it's kind of a very informal way. And I know there's other WhatsApp groups within the venture capital community and I by no means 
hold the 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 keys uh, to to this uh, this uh, uh, kingdom, I guess. But it was a side project that I started that's allowed me to be, remain connected to to the ecosystem and provide a value. I'm no longer in in venture capital, but I still try to facilitate other people within this and with other within other sectors and because it's israel people are a lot more open to sharing i i had tried in other startup ecosystems around the world to start a whatsapp group kind of like this or even telegram or or slack or other things and while some of them there's a very successful kind of slack community for for israeli tech in, in new york and other places the the way Israelis, the openness and the toughest nature of Israelis, having a WhatsApp group and be able to WhatsApp somebody and say, hey, can you make an intro to so-and-so or, or have you heard of this company? It's much more informal and it's allowed it to grow to, to a, a very big group and allow the, the model to hopefully spread. And, um, and to the extent that other people have contacted me and said, hey, I want to start a WhatsApp group for this community or this thing and been helping uh, even, uh, even now today in the IDF. Uh, there's a brand new unit um, where where I do some reserve duty um, uh, and help them out with called Mador Kilo, the the innovate the the community unit, where their goal is to facilitate the creation of communities across the IDF uh, between civilian and military, between reserve uh, uh, soldiers and and uh, active duty, and the fact is once again this as as I said before this interplay between uh, public sector, private sector, between civilian, between government. It's, it's happening that they're taking ideas from the innovation startup world and they're bringing it into the military. Now there is a, an officer whose job, her job is to create communities across the IDF. So today you are VP Operations and Business Development for Heaven Drums. Um, sorry, in the, in the intro I said you, you are co-founder. Um, so UVP Operations and Business Development. And and I think it is sending a very strong message uh, out there that, you know, international talents, as I like to call, the, to call us, Olim, you know, we, we, are, we are, you know, engraving the high-tech industry now and we are getting uh, higher, higher in the ranks because we work hard, because we deserve it, and because we bring value. But the question is, you know, how did you get uh, to that level uh, and, and what connections did you use? Um, can you give us insight about, you know, the, the path that took you to that role? Yeah, so uh, I got the job, um, the previous, I was running a nonprofit in Jerusalem, uh, a nonprofit startup accelerator called SIFTEC. COVID killed us. And so right at the beginning of COVID, I uh, was back on the market, intentionally took it very slow, uh, looking for something that really interested me. And my goal was to find a company that was, uh, had very solid technology, a, a working in a market that could change the world has major potential. And I wanted to kind of be one of the first or the first business person to take a technology and help the company grow. And so um, speaking to tons of people, put, even put myself out there. And I think this is something very important, especially in, in times like, like COVID. I put out a LinkedIn post and, uh, and said that this is what I'm looking for and had so many people reach out to me but also just speaking to, to friends. And so I spoke to, to, to my friend Hill Fold um, and he's like, dude, I was just the other day up north with this drone company. They're looking for operations guy. You got to speak to them. Message the, the CEO and, and before I knew it, I, I, I was their, their VP of operations. And so the connections and the, the putting yourself out there and the networking 
And I'm, for me, I think the most important thing, I don't care if you're a doctor, a lawyer, startups, whatever it is, professional networking, having a strong LinkedIn, reaching out to people and, and getting their thoughts on things, continually networking nonstop is the most important thing Olim, Israelis, anyone can do. And, uh, and so that's how I, I heard about the company. That's how I got the job. And the goal of the company, um, when I was uh, in, uh, in, um, in venture capital, we invested in, in a drone company. We, I did lots of research. And this drones have been developing over the last 10 years. And, and, but it's been a roller coaster. And, and I think finally, if you, anyone that knows the Gartner hype cycle, that we finally kind of were on our way out of, of, of the valley and uh, things are starting to take off for the drone industry. And, and today, I'd say 99% of applications of drones are observation and surveillance and maintenance, um, but, but inspection. Stick a camera on a drone, usually a DJI drone, it takes pictures and it can inspect bridges, it can, uh, um, it can uh, track a fire, it can uh, be used in, in uh, construction to, to survey a site. But there's lots of things that I think drones can actually do and what we're calling actionable drones. And so we have our, our main drone is, is called uh, the Heaven Lifter. It's uh, about a meter and a half long. It's this giant drone can lift about 100 pounds, uh, about 60 kilos. And we're working towards a world where, where drones don't only take pictures, don't only deliver while we are working on some delivery projects. Um, we want to have a world where drones are, are able to do actionable things. So whether we're working on say robotic arms or, or other attachments that drones can, can do things. And so we have a very uh, advanced stabilization, uh, a patented, uh, patent pending stabilization technology that allows the drones to very, very quickly stabilize better than what we, we hope uh, better than anything else in the market. And so that's our goal. It's, it's how can we make drones actionable and make drones more than just flying cameras. Could you maybe work on the project of a drone that could take my kids in the morning and in the afternoon to school? I mean, you know, just saying, that would be amazing. It would be amazing and perhaps it's part of the future, but uh, regulation is a big issue with, with drones. Well, and I'm willing to do a pilot. So, uh, so, yeah, I'm sure lots of parents uh, would, maybe if the, the Civil Aviation Authority, if their, their kids got annoying enough, then they would approve that. Before we, we wrap up that episode, um, could you give to our listeners, um, current Olim or future Olim, you know, one or two advice? Um, you know, I think that coming from you, like with a with a heavy entrepreneurial uh, experience, and 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 someone, an Ole Khadash that successfully uh, created a very qualitative network in Israel, I, I think that would make a lot of sense, and I think you know, uh, people listening to us will very much appreciate it. So coming back to networking, I think that's one of the best aspects, best things that you can do. Um, the the, the net networking is, is, is a foundational aspect of, 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 uh, of everything. And as an Ola specifically, whether you're an OLE or, or a student or, or in, in a situation where you're not actively looking for a job, if you are, are looking for a job and then starting to network, you're already too late. Networking is all about reaching out to people and saying, hey, how can I perhaps be like you in five years? You want to be a project manager? Well, you're in school, you're, you're currently in one job and looking for a couple months down the road to, to move to your job. Well, how can I 
be reach out on LinkedIn, find the top, either whether Olim or not, find the project managers, ask them, what can I, how can I learn from you? It's straight out of the book of, of, of um, how to win friends and influence people by, by Dale Carnegie. It's, it's about putting yourself out there, speaking to people and building your network. Because if, if you are only starting once you're looking for the job, well then even if you're the perfect candidate, I don't know what it is. You said one of your former, uh, one of your former uh, uh, guests on, on the show was, uh, was an HR. A lot of HR people that I've spoken to, well, they're always looking for great people. The moment some, like I've noticed that sometimes if, if reach, a person reaches out directly and sometimes they're like a little bit hesitant if they don't know where the person's coming from. And so if you've already been able to build up a connection with somebody in a company and then, then you reach out to them and say, hey, do you know of any good positions that are good for me? They'll be more happy to, to forward your CV and not just forward your CV, but perhaps put in a good word for you because they actually know you as a person. You're not just this random cold uh, uh, LinkedIn message saying, hey, um, can you introduce me? And so I think that's a big part of it. Being it, networking before you need it um, and then always helping. When somebody reaches out to you to, to, to then learn how did you get to your position, find the time for them because don't just do it because you're hoping that some, one day they'll be able to help you, but you also never know how one day they'll come back and be able to help you. But, um, but just always be willing to help, be willing, willing to make introductions, uh, have, have conversations with people. I think that's just the key bit of advice uh, that, uh, that, that I can give. It's a bit obvious, but it surprises me how few very, even successful business people do not network enough and, and do not sustain their, their networking. Ilan, thanks very much for sharing all of this with us. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a, a great discussion. But before letting you go, we're going to stress test your knowledge about Israel. You ready? I'm going to ask you four questions. All right. So we, we're not going to push too much. Uh, give me your answers and I will give you, you know, uh, uh, my, my answers, you know, the, the final answers right after. Okay. So can you name five Israeli prime ministers? Um, Bibi, Olmert, Sharon, um, Rabin, Begin. Good. What are the three biggest cities in Israel in terms of population? Number one, I believe is Jerusalem, then Haifa, Tel Aviv. So Jerusalem with 800k uh, people. Uh, then you have Tel Aviv with 432. That was a silly mistake. Then you have West Jerusalem with 400 and then Haifa with 267. Okay. That was a trick. <laughs> um, can you name three Israeli lakes? Oh, that's a tough one. Mm. You know, right? um, three Israeli lakes. Yeah, you're... I mean, tech, Dead Sea probably isn't... Uh, I don't think it's officially a sea. Um, so there's two. What other lakes are there in Israel? Um, probably something up north. Banyas, I don't know. You have also Ayanot, you have Daron, you have Yesudot, you have Netzer, you have Mahos, you have Kaun. That just let us know that we need to travel much more to the lakes in Israel. It's true. I'm sitting here in a, traveling in America. I need a, to get back and see more of Israel. And last one. How many kilometers from the northern point to the southeast point in Israel? <laughs> Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, I'd say mm, a thousand. 
So a thousand is friends. We halfway. <laughs> so Israel stretches over 424 kilometers. You tricked me though, because I grew up in America. So yeah, I, I know you talk. <laughs> I admit defeat. But we are in Israel. In Israel, we're talking kilometers, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you adopt my Israeli, uh, the Israeli culture. And that's a wrap for Holly Tech Talk third episode. Ilan, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. We hope that you enjoyed that episode. You can subscribe to Holly Tech Talk podcast on iTunes and Spotify. See you next month. Ciao.